Hey there, welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis, episode 18, and joining me again is my good pal, Brian Blaze Berkowitz. Can I call you Blaze Berkowitz? And uh, I probably shouldn't do that, right? L- listen, listen, <laughs> whatever makes you happy, man. How many years have you been calling me Blazer? It's a pleasure to be here. Just don't call me late for supper. <laughs> and speaking of which, you came directly from work. If you listen to the podcast, you know that Brian is an attorney. You were in court tonight. I was. In fact, you know, when I came in, you looked very impressed that I wore a tie for the podcast. <laughs> but unfortunately, I was coming from court, again, to represent a client, not for myself. But yeah, I really appreciate you coming here straight from court, straight from work. I'm sure you're tired. I'm sure you're hungry. <laughs> I'm sure you want to go spend time with your kids and your wife. So I really appreciate it. And by the way, BurkeLaw.com. Well, that's a nice plug. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, of course. My pleasure. After the last time we did this together, I knew that that you were going to be back, you know, sooner rather than later. And we were talking about a couple of different movies to do. And one of the movies that we mentioned was Coming to America. One of my favorites. A great movie. And there's a good chance that we'll talk about that at some point. But I thought if we were going to talk about an Eddie Murphy movie, we have to talk about the one that really catapulted him to superstardom. Gumby? (laughs) No, 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 no. That wasn't a movie. He was in 48 Hours before this movie, and and he was great in that, and that was a big success for him as well. But the movie that really made him a superstar was the movie we're going to talk about in this podcast, Beverly Hills Cop. I just watched it the other day. What a coincidence. Oh, okay. Hey, that works out really well. (laughs) That worked out really well. Because so did I. All right. Well, terrific. Let's talk about it. Originally released in theaters December 5th, 1984. That's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Sue. (laughs) There you go. And this was the first film to have a release of over 2,000 theaters in the U.S. That's pretty amazing when you think about some of the big movies that came out before this. You don't even realize, you know, growing up going to the movies, you think, oh, this must be everywhere in a million theaters. But as time goes by and as we watch the beginning, there's more and more and more theaters. So I guess 2000 was a huge number in the 80s. Back then, I mean, I don't even know if there were multiplexes. There were probably, but not like they are now. I, I think mean. a multiplex might have been there was two small theaters instead of, <laughs> instead of one. Yeah, it was a theater that originally was a first floor and a balcony, and they made the balcony a second theater. As long as you got to see a movie, it was good. Exactly. So Beverly Hills Cop, directed by Martin Brest. <laughs> <laughs> I said Brest. Uh, Martin Brest, when he was offered the job by the producers, he flipped a quarter to decide whether or not he was going to take it. And after the movie became an enormous hit, he framed the quarter and hung it on his wall. And he also makes a cameo in the film as the clerk who checks Axel Foley out of the hotel. You know, that was always such a great scene at the end. Yeah. And um, I did not know that. So the screenplay was by Daniel Petrie Jr., story by Daniel Petrie Jr. and Danilo Bach. Movie, of course, stars Eddie Murphy, Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, Lisa Eilbacher, Ronnie Cox, Paul Reiser, and Bronson Pinchot. Nice pronunciation. Thank you. That's correct, right? I believe it is. Yeah. And Bronson uh, was a scene stealer in this movie for sure. Didn't they say in the movie that that was supposed to be two people in that scene? And he stole the entire scene. I remember hearing about that, right? Yeah. Originally, it was going to be him and another guy that worked in the art gallery. What happened was the director heard the the Serge character that he does, Love and he it. thought it was so hilarious that he he actually scaled back the other actor's part to give Bronson more screen time. And that really is a classic representation of that movie because you have Eddie Murphy who's such a powerhouse in it, yep. and then you're stopping to think how great the supporting cast is, and that's a perfect example of how our friend Balky. Yeah, I mean, you know, he went on to do uh, the Balky character in, in Perfect Strangers after this. He was in Risky Business. Was, uh, I did was, not know that. That was, um, that was his debut role. He played one of Tom Cruise's friends in Risky Business. Okay, now maybe I do remember that. Yeah, that's another great movie. Oh, man. So many great movies. I haven't seen that in a thousand years. I, don't even, I remember the premise, but it yeah. would be worth seeing again. Absolutely. And talking about. Absolutely. And that's the great thing about doing this podcast. 
revisiting all these great movies from the 80s that we grew up with that are timeless. Bronson Pinchot most recently appeared on the Showtime series Ray Donovan. So he's still working, which is great. What I've seen on that Ray Donovan show is outstanding. So the movie was filmed between May and August of 1984, an estimated budget of $14 million. It grossed $230 million in the U.S., $316 million worldwide. And it also made $108 million in U.S. rentals. This was the highest grossing R-rated film in the United States until 2003's The Matrix Reloaded. That's a pretty great streak to have. Absolutely. It's funny that many of the opening shots were filmed in real-life Detroit. Now, the people on the streets weren't aware they were being filmed, but later gave their consent. And Martin Brest was escorted by the police, but there were a couple of times they wouldn't follow him because they thought it was too dangerous. Yeah, Detroit has always been a real shithole. And no offense to anybody listening in Detroit, <laughs> but it's really a bad area, man. But to me, it'll always be Detroit Rock City. That's right. Of course, the two Kiss fans love Detroit for that reason. You know, it's funny. You can't mention it without sitting there. Now, now I'm singing the song to myself. <laughs> me too. Not surprisingly, in this movie, Eddie Murphy improvised most of the funny stuff that comes out of his mouth, as did John Ashton and Judge Reinhold. That's a little surprising, only because they're not known as comedians. Was that when they said that when they auditioned, they gave him some improv to do... Um, Reinhold and Ashton, I think they did some improv and they uh, they liked it so much and they thought the chemistry was so good between them. That's why either one of them or both of them got the role in the movie. Exactly. In fact, the scene in the movie where uh, they're talking about the five pounds of red meat that's undigested in the bowels. It's like when they're, they're on stakeout in the car. Uh, <laughs> that right. Was... He said, you do eat a lot of red meat and you drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> It's like he's married to him. Oh, well, you know, that happened. You know, you spend that much time with someone. I guess that's what the, where the, their relationship turned. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is the, the direction that was given to them was you're a middle-aged couple married for years and you're having a conversation on an average evening. And then Judge Reinhold picked up a magazine that was kind of laying around and, and read the article about the, uh, the red meat and it became the scene. With the improvisation, they went through hundreds of takes that ended up getting ruined by the, the cast members and the director because, I mean, you know, Eddie Murphy, when he gets going, forget about it. How do you not laugh? Oh, forget it. I, I can't and imagine. How do you not ruin, the problem is if you laugh, you might ruin a great scene and a great yeah. improv. So what do you do when you're in a movie and you don't want to laugh? Apparently, pinch yourself. During the super cop scene in the movie where he's telling the story about the bus that they do at the, the strip club. Yep. You can watch John Ashton right in the movie. He's like pinching his face and he's looking down. It looks like he's frustrated, but he's actually trying not to laugh in that scene. They said the only thing missing was a cape. <laughs> exactly. I just want you to know the super cop story was working yep. and you fucked up a perfectly good <laughs> story. Oh, that was fantastic. Bogomel. Yeah. Outstanding. What a minor role in it. Yeah, he's great. And, and so important to the movie. I looked him up after I realized he's been in some interesting stuff before. Yep. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but he, he was, was in Deliverance. Yes, he that, was. That was like in the seventies. I think is he a singer or a songwriter? I, I think I read something about that also. That's possible. I know that he was also in RoboCop. Okay. You know what I really liked about this picture is you forget Eddie Murphy kind of pulling in a lot of his Saturday Night Live skits. I like when he walks into the country club and he's asking for Victor. Victor Maitland. Right, and he <laughs> says, "I have herpes simplex 10. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, and that's the thing. We always talk about like movies from, from 30 years ago. You can't get away with a lot of that stuff today. Like Nowadays, if a guy walks in and he starts talking really effeminate and everything else, everybody's going to get their panties in a while. Not politically correct. No. 
He was fantastic. I also, you know, one of the funniest go-betweens is when he asked the guy at the buffet how much the fruit was, and the guy said, well, the buffet is $12.95. And <laughs> go ahead. Just take the bananas. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just take them. But I love right before he says it, the character looks around to make sure nobody's watching. That's right. It's a little subtlety, and it's funny. I always remembered that scene, and it made me laugh when I watched the movie as much as I did when I saw it when it first did came you, out. Did you recognize that guy? I didn't. Damon Wayans. No. Damon Wayans. I'll have to watch it again. Yep. It's funny, this movie always reminds me of a perfect time period in my life. So this came out in 84. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was 13, 14 years old in 1984, and it was just outstanding. And, you know, you listen to the language in this movie. Oh, man. Now, you know, I have to confess, I've watched this movie on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off watching it while my three-year-old daughter was taking a bath. And when I say <laughs> watching it, I'm sitting next to her and kind of look, you know, looking at it. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy said, fuck, and my daughter said, what word did he say? And I said, he said truck. Her response was no. He said fuck. <laughs> How old's your daughter again? She's three. She'll be four in January. Nice. And I, I wish I could say that's the first time she ever heard that word. <laughs> I'm sure it is not, however. No, but you know, sometimes I step on Lego. Yeah, that'll that'll make you say fuck for oh, sure. Yeah, that, 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 that'll do it. Or, you know, it's when you step on a piece of Lego and you're screaming and put your foot down onto the second piece of Lego. Oh, God. I bring out my inner Fred Flintstone when that happens. <laughs> Although I don't know if Fred Flintstone said fuck, but Barney, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> anyway, I digress. How, how awesome would that be? Well, that's, the R-rated Flintstones. And that's a Seth MacFarlane production, right? That'd be Absolutely. I would see that. I would see it as well. <laughs> okay, so getting back to the movie, I like when he first gets to Beverly Hills and he checks into the Beverly Palm. One of the things that really made me laugh about that was he comes in and says, yeah, you should have a reservation for Axel Foley. No, 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 we don't have it. Right, right, no. You have to look under Rolling Stone Magazine's Axel Foley. Right, exactly. Oh, that was just so funny. <laughs> just... You know, he's a guy who basically could read you the yellow pages and make you laugh. Oh, he's great. Maybe not anymore. You know, it's funny. I, I have a friend, Monique, who also listens to the podcast, hence the shout out. Hey, uh, Monique. <laughs> so Monique has this theory that Eddie Murphy ceased being funny as soon as he started doing kid-oriented movies, whether it's Daddy Daycare or the Shrek movies or whatever came before that. Problem is, big checks came with those movies, Hell too. yeah. He was making like $20 million a picture for things that didn't do well at the box office no. at all. You wonder, who is reading these scripts for him? Exactly. Who is saying, oh, sure, Eddie, go ahead. I mean, yeah. it's unfortunate because there was a level of funniness that Eddie Murphy attained yeah. that we have not seen since. We've seen people come close, but, you know, the off-the-cuff, say what's on your mind, and that laugh. One of the things I read about this movie was that this actually wasn't going to be an Eddie Murphy movie. Right, I noticed that also. I was shocked because this movie seems tailor-made for Eddie Murphy, but it turns out that Axel Foley was originally going to be played by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, that would have changed the whole tone of the movie. Oh, absolutely. And, and actually, Mickey Rourke was also considered for the role, too. Sylvester Stallone, I think, a little bit more seriously because of some of the other stuff I read. In the original script, uh, Axel's friend the character of Michael Tandino that visits him in Detroit. Detroit, sure. That character was supposed to be Stallone's brother. And Jenny Summers, the the woman that works in the art gallery that Axel goes to visit, uh, was supposed to be Axel's love interest. Stallone left the project and used some of his script ideas to make Cobra in 1986. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I think Brigitte Nielsen was in it with him. Yep. Who, interestingly enough, was in Beverly Hills Cop 2. See, I did not know that. Isn't that weird? Stephen Burkoff, who plays Victor Maitland, yep. he said in a, a UK newspaper interview that Stallone quit the film because of disagreements about which kind of orange juice was to be put in his trailer. Now, you're going to say that's a, that's a big deal, but let me tell you, I don't like pulp in my orange juice. <laughs> so if you give me orange juice with pulp in it, I'm walking off Beverly Hills Cop 2. So I completely have to take <laughs> Sly's side with this. 
So there's a two sides to every story. I'm sticking no pulp or I'm out of here. Let me tell you something. You're giving me Minute Maid. I want Tropicana in my dressing room. Makes sense. I like Tropicana the best myself. So some other actors were also considered for uh, the role of Axel Foley. Al Pacino and James Caan. This movie clearly was not originally supposed to be a comedy, all right? It was, it was probably more of an action drama sort of thing. And uh, Eddie Murphy's performance, I think, is really what kind of made the whole action comedy genre a big thing. It's true. And also, we think about this. We, we certainly would, unless it was mentioned with this movie, we would not be talking about Cobra right now. <laughs> that's, that's a good point, actually. So, I mean, this was, that movie you know, was, was pretty bad, too. I tend to like every movie I've ever seen, but I even got to say that wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't. It had its moments. Hey, listen, the guy was Rocky and he wrote it. So he, to me, yeah. I'll excuse anything. But There's probably not a bigger Stallone fan than me. But he's done his share of stinkers. I mean, they clearly had to do a million rewrites to go from a Stallone serious movie to Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop. It's two complete different movies. Well, supposedly the shooting script for the movie was pasted together from like a half a dozen or so scripts. You talk about fortunate accidents, though. I mean, again, this was a blockbuster. What, what do we say? It took forever for another movie until 2003 or 2004 to beat this box office. So, mm-hmm. boy, was that good Sly walked off this movie, huh? Yeah. He did us all a favor, I think. Uh, please. He definitely did. Thanks, Sly. So um, while we're talking about scripts, uh, you actually sent me a couple of articles in the email the other day about Beverly Hills Cop 4. Talk about that a little bit. So one of my Google searches popped up at Beverly Hills Cop 4, and I think I sent you the first article saying, hey, this is was, it's happening. It was slated for 2016. Yeah, they had an actual release date and everything. Right. And then I went and looked at the next one. I said, oh, I better stay. Please read this in conjunction with the other one. That's the, <laughs> that's the lawyer in me talking. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want you to go out there and say, Beverly Hills Cop will be out December 14th, 2016. I would see Beverly Hills Cop 4. I would too. It would be a great vehicle for old school Eddie Murphy to come back and dazzle us because we talked about it before. Coming to America, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop, outstandingly funny. 48 Hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these- Harlem films, Nights was pretty good too. Harlem Nights was phenomenal. All these great <laughs> movies. Very quotable Harlem Nights, yeah. by the way. That's that, one I haven't seen in now, a while too. Also on Netflix. Now I've got to cut you. <laughs> so anyway, no, wait. It's it's really, it's unfortunate they have such a huge talent that does that. Is not, I don't want to say living up to potential, but there's no reason. You know, we talk, we don't have a John Candy left anymore. We don't have a Chris Farley left anymore. Yeah. Those are, my opinion, comedic geniuses, and we never got to see what's next. Here's Eddie Murphy, made so many classic movies, and, you know, sitting back and saying, and either making poor movies or not making them at all, it really is an injustice when we have such, you know, this is not just funny. This is next-level funny. Yeah. And you got to believe like anything else, that there's probably, it's in there somewhere, maybe for whatever reason. Maybe he doesn't want to do it. Maybe you don't have any inspiration when you're loaded. Maybe the good scripts aren't coming his way. But a Beverly Hills Cop 4 with the right script, the right people behind it, I would think the sky would be the limit with it. And I hope, you know, maybe it'll still come out eventually. Who knows? They had a release date, and then they kind of went, oh, I don't know about the script. So so now the release date is kind of put off indefinitely until they rework the script. But uh, the director is Brett Ratner. Okay, sure. Who did the Rush Hour movies. Yep. And they were pretty good. Did they talk in one of those articles that they were considering a Beverly Hills Cop TV show? And instead he focused his attention on a Rush Hour TV show that's going to oh, be coming okay. out. I did hear something about that. In fact, um, it was supposed to be based around Axel's son. Okay. And Eddie Murphy was going to probably do a cameo in it right. or something. Which, you know, probably would have got people to watch. Just I'd watch it. Because it's Eddie Murphy. Why not? 
I don't know. I think that he should focus on doing a Beverly Hills Cop 4 movie with a good script. And I think that could be the movie that really makes a comeback for him in terms of uh, being a movie star. 100%. And it seems like now, especially, Eddie, if you're listening out there, because we're talking about this movie, this should be your catalyst. Make Beverly Hills Cop 4. Yes. And make it well. Yeah. Make it because Jason and Blazer said so. That's right. (laughs) And we don't ask for much. We just want a private jet to the premiere. (laughs) That's right. A couple good seats in the theater. Maybe an after party. That'd be good. And maybe a Mumford Fizz Ed shirt. Yes, absolutely. I would like one of those. Yeah, and maybe one of those Beverly Palm robes as well. I've needed a good robe for years. Yeah, take one. I've got three in my bag. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> what I really liked was that the uh, regular room price was, what, $235? Right, in Beverly Hills. Right. But in 1984, that was probably a lot of money. Right. Now that would be like... Motel 6. But Motel 6's robes are not as good. No, they're scratchy. Thinking about some funny lines from this movie, I love when he calls to order the takeout for them when they're doing the stakeout in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And are you still doing the the late supper menu? Late supper. I love when he gives them the food and as the guy's walking away, Judge Reinhold's character says, can I get some more mayonnaise? (laughs) (laughs) The uh, the shrimp salad sandwich. shrimp salad sandwich. You know, what we're not talking about on here, Mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, the guy who killed his buddy in Detroit, mm-hmm. that's Mike, isn't it? That is. It's Mike Ehrmantraut. But yeah, a uh, great character actor. Jonathan Banks is his name. Okay. And yeah, he plays Zach in this movie, the right. you know Maitland's goon. But Mike Ehrmantraut is a character from Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul. It's so weird looking at him as a young man with a full head of hair because right. what makes him awesome is the full package, the older man, mm-hmm. the balding, the, the looking a bit weathered right. really is what did it. And I, I watched the movie, and halfway through it, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Mike. Yeah. That's phenomenal. He's in such a classic movie. Yeah. He like, always plays a bad guy. He's right. just got that look about him. And he and I remember the first time I saw him in Breaking Bad, looking at this older guy going, God, that guy looks familiar. Because there's probably countless things that yeah. we've seen him do that we are not we don't even realize. He's, again, a working character actor mm-hmm. and, you know, household name now. Yeah. I actually remember him in an interview. He said that uh, a girlfriend of his put together a reel of all of his uh, death scenes. And all the things that he was in. <laughs> I thought that, that was kind of cool. he killed people or he died? No, that he, well, he got killed. So it didn't work out too good for the sequels for him, huh? No, he's, you know, you know, that's the thing with being a character actor. You're probably a casualty in most of the movies that you're in. Yeah. It's, it, hey, listen, again, at least, it, at least it was a good career. Yeah, he's still still going. He's nominated for an Emmy this year, so good for him. That's outstanding. Yeah. It's funny with those Mumford Fizz Ed shirts. When, I, when the movie came out, where I lived, there was the Spring Valley Flea Market. Okay. And we used to go and get three bowl of our heavy metal t-shirts over there. <laughs> and I remember them selling a Mumford Fizz Ed shirt. And for the life of me, I can't remember why I never owned one. Yeah. It was such it was such a relevant thing to me with the Mumford Fizz Ed shirt. Mm-hmm. And what was the deal with that? That was Mumford Fizz Ed was somebody's it was, alma mater, um, right? Yeah, it was uh, somebody who worked on the film from Detroit, which is where the school is. Uh, they had one of the shirts and asked Eddie if he would wear it in the movie because uh, he's from Detroit and it, he thought it would give uh, maybe some authenticity to the character. And next thing you know, after the movie comes out and is a big hit, they're selling all kinds of shirts from this school. And it's probably it probably like an amazing fundraiser. Better than a bake sale. Yeah, exactly. A little bit better than that, for sure. You probably could still get them. I'm sure. So what's your favorite part of this movie, Jason? What do you like oh the best? Oh my God. The scene where uh, he first goes to see Victor Maitland in Maitland's office. You know, he wants to ask him some questions and he gets uh, thrown out of his office. Literally, they throw him through the window and the cops arrest him and they're throwing him in the car 
And, you know, he said, what's the charge? And, like, you know, disturbing the peace. He goes, I got thrown out of a fucking window. What's the charge of murder? Jaywalking? Something, <laughs> Something like, that. like that, yeah. That's a great line. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in, right? Yeah. And the two cops look like Ken dolls. They're, like, perfect, like, the Hollywood types. Um, I also love when he first poses as the inspector at the uh, the bonding oh, that, warehouse. Oh, that's the best. That's the best. Is that your Porsche outside? <laughs> yeah. When he's like, this guy gave me a match, you right, know? Right. Call your wives, boys. Nobody's going home early. You gave him a match. <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. And that's the great thing about Eddie Murphy. He's so believable in having that swagger. And you feel like he's the kind of guy in real life that could just talk his way out of anything. It was phenomenal. You know, I can't say that that wasn't the same character. Was it Reggie Hammond in 48 yeah. Hours? I can't say it's that similar. they're not the same character. But I mean, the point is, is that... It's almost like his DNA is the character that we saw in this movie. I guess in his DNA is the character in the scenes we saw in this movie. And I think that's what he's missing nowadays because yeah. listen, we're, we're talking about this 31 years later. Well, this is the thing. You know, when he did 48 Hours and even this movie, he's in his like early 20s at that right. time. And you think about all the swagger you have when you're in your 20s, especially at that time in the 80s when you can get away with so much more. I mean, you know, he was a superstar breakout on Saturday Night Live. Right. And then he gets into the movies and he's just as big. And he's in his 20s. He's a kid from Long Island. When you become a fat cat movie star making 20 million a picture, even if your movie sucks and doesn't do shit, eventually maybe you lose that edge. You talk about a uh, big band like Guns N' Roses, for instance. Mm -hmm. When they had their first album come out, that was written in the streets. They were living in a one-room apartment. And those were the things about that. But now you're a multi-million dollar rock star. You know, you, you're not living in the apartment with the drunk guy that wakes up halfway through the day and causes trouble. You're not doing all the. You're not doing all these things on right. there. You know, Welcome to the Jungle means you're getting on a plane and doing a safari in Kenya with your family. That's right. So I mean, you're, you're right. The things that drive you when you're younger, you're spending time observing the world when you're a young Eddie Murphy. Then when you're a famous Eddie Murphy, the world's observing you. And if you think about that, that's probably what changes. And that's why we're not seeing the Eddie Murphy that we want anymore. But I believe he's got it in him. And I believe we'll see it again. He's got to get back the eye of the tiger, right? He does. <laughs> Speaking of Stallone. That's right. Everything comes back to Stallone. I wanted to mention, uh, we were talking about casting before, really quick. Uh, the guy who plays his boss, Inspector Todd, yep. uh, was played by an actual Detroit Police Department homicide detective, Gilbert R. Hill. He later served as president of the Detroit City Council. And he was great in that also, Inspector Todd. He was. He really was. Like, I thought he was an actor. Who knew? Me too. Me too. He was very convincing. Some of the funniest things in that movie, though, were, again, we talk Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosewood and Taggart, the back and forth between them. Oh, great. How about the beginning with the scene with the cigarettes and the truck? You, you know, you, you, oh, you, yeah. You're talking about, you know, I guess all the different parts of the movie. That goes by so quick, but that's hysterical. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that that's how the movie starts. It starts with one of the craziest car chases ever on film. That would be the Blues Brothers, but I'm with Well, you. yes. Yeah. That's why I said one of them. <laughs> all one right. Of them. Just, just checking. By the way, Blues Brothers coming to a, a podcast near you soon. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. That's Absolutely. a good one. You know, little known fact, Blues Brothers taking place in the great state of Illinois, mm -hmm. which is my birthplace. Oh, I didn't know that. So you learned a little something. Today. I just learned something new about the Blazer. Like That's to, very cool. I, I like to give, last time I told you where the name Blazer came from, where All Brian right. Blaze came from, and today you learned that I'm a Midwesterner. Who knew? I mean, I left when I was two. But yeah, you know, so that really doesn't even count, no. but okay. As a matter of fact, we have friends in Arizona, when they hear me speak, <laughs> think I have a New York accent, which is very funny to me. Maybe every once in a while, every once in a while, but... Hey, forget about it. Hey. <laughs> Another funny part of the movie, there's a scene where Axel is camped out in front of Victor Maitland's house, and he's got like a cooler with sandwiches and beers, and that's when the uh, quote-unquote B team, you know, the, uh, we're not going to fall for a banana in my tailpipe, right. and he says, 
Hey, man, you got to say it like a brother. Ain't going to fall for no banana in my tailpipe. You yeah. Know? I like when he comes over and says, what, what do you look? You got in there. It looks an awful lot like a steakhouse. I'm just having a picnic. <laughs> I'm just having a picnic. Exactly. So he's camped out in front of uh, Victor Maitland's house. The gated entrance to the house was actually used in another movie from the 80s. It was David's parents' house in the 1987 Bruce Willis film Blind Date. I did not know that. Did you ever see that movie? I did not. <laughs> it's actually a fun movie, I'm too. sure. It's good. My favorite thing about the podcast, first of all, I like when you have the back and forth. You know you know, I'm a big fan when you have your wife on the show. But um, the funny thing is, is hearing the reactions because, you know, your perception of a movie, my perception of a movie, the things that were important in the movie to me, the things that are important to you, this is what two guys sitting around BSing about a movie is all about. Right. Is, you know, is quoting all the, all the lines in it and really hearing two people's perspectives on a movie. And, you know, this movie was funny, and it was funny on a level that we haven't seen. I'm sure there's a hundred movies that are that funny. But when you think of the millions of movies that were made, that's pretty uh, yeah. That's pretty impressive. And Eddie Murphy would, would certainly be a... Uh, a hard act to top, and I don't know what comedian has come out and really done something like this. Eddie Murphy was game-changing when he came out. His stand-up routine, his movies, I mean, I realized the bankability of him is that you always wanted to see more. Let's not forget the scene when he walks down the street in Beverly Hills, and those two guys are dressed up like Michael Jackson. Absolutely. And he gets hysterical. That looks like that might have been a real laugh. Yeah, that seems like it was, it was uh, real. Like, it, it totally uh, wasn't scripted. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, I enjoyed watching this movie again. I was glad to get to see it. It's certainly fun talking about it with you. It really is good game to revisit these movies. Even yeah. when I'm not on the show with you and I'm listening to them, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I did make a b big confession to you and your wife that I had never seen Goonies. Have you watched it? I have not watched okay. it since, but even <laughs> even my wife thinks I'm crazy that I haven't watched the Goonies. Do you have a copy? I'm pretty sure we do. But the thing is that, you know, you say that though, but think about how much people love that movie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to watch in my mid-40s that movie for the first time. Which may or may not be a good thing. I think you'll still enjoy it because, you know, you're kind of a kid at heart and you have kids. So, yes. you know, I think that um, you'll appreciate it. But the thing that I love about it is I remember seeing it when it first came out and I and it just brings me back. Okay. Like all these movies do. And I love looking back fondly about growing up with this stuff. A dear friend of mine passed away in 1999, my friend Virgil. And um, he loved this movie. Mm -hmm. Whenever I watch the movie, I think of him. You talk about the way movies bring you back. And this mm -hmm. got me a little sentimental. Watching it again, it makes you think of what you were doing when you saw them. And this was a big movie my friend and I talked about. So that was really another reason I enjoyed watching this and enjoyed talking about it again as well. Anybody listening that hasn't seen this in a long time really should revisit it. Absolutely. And you mentioned that, you know, the great thing is that with just two guys reminiscing and kind of reliving the movie and you can get involved too you can give us your thoughts you can give us your opinion on on the movie on beverly hills cop or about the podcast in general join the conversation email me at screenfacts at yahoo.com you can also tweet me at jason davis voice you can find me at facebook.com slash jason davis voiceover brian where are you uh, if you want to get your social um, media uh, let's see, www.burklaw.com. Mm -hmm. Burklaw.com is the conduit to find me. Anybody finds himself needing a lawyer in the um, suburban New York, the Hudson Valley, Rockland County, Orange County, um, criminal defense, personal injury. Um, and my specialty and what I work the most on is DWI defense. So www.burklaw.com. And thank you for the plug, Jason. Of course, of course. I appreciate you coming down here and taking your time uh, to do this with me. Well, I'm looking forward to the next one. And me this, too. This was, a, this was a good one. And, you know, I've certainly been getting my movie watching going over and over again. <laughs> and certainly it makes it a lot easier knowing what to watch when you guys on this podcast are bringing up all the classics. So thank you very much. All right, man. And please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Tell your family and friends about the podcast. Please post links on Facebook, Twitter, and whatever other social media that you use 
to help spread the word. Please check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast for info about uh, Screen Facts t-shirts and some of the other places that you can download and listen to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Blazer! Great to see you again. Thanks for having me. And this is a great excuse to get together, and I can't wait for the next one. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for listening. Join me again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Jason Davis.